Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. talking about management and how it's not cheating mm-hmm. and like a lot of things that we pick a topic that probably doesn't mean anything to anyone so in summary when we're talking when we go and train dogs we often tell them okay there's going to be an element of management to this mm-hmm. not just training because well frankly if you don't manage a situation you put your dog in loads of situations they shouldn't be in and the dog gets to practice all the behaviours you didn't want them to do, and the training's absolutely pointless. Well, and it's also <laughs> a, it's, it's a preventative measure. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Alice. Hi. Uh, like, if you've got... It's a preventative measure, yeah. Yeah, so if you... Similar to you don't put knives on the floor of toddlers. Yeah, it's managing the environment, managing what your dog has access to. Yeah. You know, if you have a dog, and it's it's across the board, it doesn't matter if it's a puppy or an adolescent dog or, you know, a dog that suffers from um, any fear-based. Mm-hmm. Or even frustration-based. Or frustration, um, excite, yeah, excitement, just, just anything. You know, you, if you get a puppy, first thing you should be doing is setting up their environment to manage them so they don't create new behaviours that you have to go ahead and try and work through later. Yeah. The other end of the scale, like the other, the uh, I guess the counter-argument is, well, the dog's got to learn. Well, <laughs> right? again, yeah, yeah, well, they're, knives they're, on floor of toddlers. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they just got to learn. They yeah. might lose a finger or an eye, but hey, that's okay. Shit, they don't have to learn the hard way. Right? No. <laughs> it's, um, it is, uh, it's that, the opposing mentality, the opposing arguments that we always see is, well, you know, he's just going to have to learn how to deal with that, isn't he? But... <laughs> My argument is always, no, not really, no. He doesn't have to learn the way that you're thinking. He doesn't have to learn the hard way. He doesn't have to be thrown in the bloody deep end and see if he can swim. But it's also then really having a look at the word learn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what do you want him to learn? (laughs) But what is the actual dog going to learn in that situation and dependent on how often that dog is in those environments or situations and who the dog themselves is and what things mean to the dog and what the dog finds reinforcing yeah positive or negative is what the dog will learn Mm. it's not necessarily that the dog is going to learn not to do something or learn the hard way the dog might learn that that a particular behavior that is not uh, socially appropriate is super reinforcing for that dog. Yeah. So the dog's going, thanks, mate, this is awesome. The human's going, hang on a minute, you were supposed to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing I wanted you to learn. And that's where it can often lead. So you say, for example, right, you've got a dog that, and this is just pulling a situation out of thin air, top of my head, but you've got a dog that gets overstimulated and extra bouncy and pushy with other dogs. Mm. 
right? And the mentality of, well, he's got to learn the hard way. He's got to learn how to socialize the hard way uh, would lead to people putting that dog into really into the deep end around other dogs. And with the, I suppose, with the expectation of other dogs telling him off and essentially so that he suppresses his behavior. Mm. We'd like him to learn not to do that and learn that other dogs don't like it when he does that and learn to be more socially appropriate. I guess it's like the overriding things of what people might expect for a dog to learn when that happens to them. And look, not that we don't do that because one, I don't want my dog to have to learn through fear of other dogs by getting corrected by other dogs. Mm. Especially other dogs that I don't know and I don't know how far they're going to take a correction. But what? Let's say it doesn't work. Let's say we put this dog, our dog, in that situation and he escalates Mm -hmm. and another dog does then go, stop it and bucks it and lunges it and snaps. But our dog doesn't really get that memo and carries on escalating. And then the other dog is forced to bark and lunge and snap even harder. But he might still escalate. Mm -hmm. And what this dog is learning Mm. is to keep escalating Mm. until somebody then steps in and removes and takes him away. But what that dog's learned is around dogs that keep escalating. Yeah, well, that, and again, going back, what does it mean for that particular dog? And I think because people will go back to when they say, well, the dog's got to learn, you know, from another dog, this is this is what you're not, so what you were saying before, that they have to learn that that's not socially appropriate, that that's not how you, uh, you behave around other dogs. Mm. Now, if the dogs we have now were living with their family groups mm. for longer periods of time and their learning was that of their conspecific, so other dogs, like, you know, wolves or wild dogs, sure. Mm. Because they're learning from relatives. Yep. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got significant established relationships. Exactly. Which builds over time. Yes. Sort of like, you know, families how families interact with one another, like human families, and how much they will tolerate with a family member Mm -hmm. is because of the relationship that's built over time. Yes. And it's the same with dogs. Yeah. But what people misunderstand is that fact that if they they are taking a dog that we, that has been generally taken approximately around eight weeks, Mm which is their socialisation period. So if they were still to stay with their family groups, then they would be learning a lot more of what was socially appropriate and how to respond uh, without escalating to that, you know, um, overt response. Yeah. But we're taking these dogs and then whatever the situation may be in terms of that socialisation period for each individual person in that dog and then going, off you go. (laughs) into, you know, a daycare or a dog walking group or a dog park where that particular dog, dependent on its learning, its genetics, how it's feeling that day, all of those things goes, <gasps> um. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> a lot of options here. A lot of options. So, you know, again, dependent on, the, yeah. on the, the personality of that dog, you might get that dog who just barrels into every dog or you might get that dog that might go, 
Hi. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. My name's Dom. And <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just here. I've got no alcohol, so I'm not sure what else to do. <laughs> could be a little bit weird in my corner. <laughs> a little bit weird in my corner. So that whole, you know, they have to learn. Yeah, they do. But we have to facilitate a space and experience for them to learn in a way where they are not going to feel under pressure, threatened, anxious, fearful, frustrated, over-aroused, under-aroused. And that's what managing what they have access to is all about. It's like, I'm going to go and put that dog, we're going to run with this context because that's what we've got, but I'm going to go and run, put that dog in situations where it has got a really high likelihood of practicing desirable behaviours and learning appropriate social skills because I'm not I'm going to manage who they have access to so I'm not if I see that nutcase dog in the park mm. I'm going to get mate we're leaving because I'm going to manage access to that dog because I don't want it to be a negative influence on my own it's going to have a negative learning experience mm. but I'm going to actively seek out opportunities where there's a high probability of it being a positive learning experience that is what we mean by management. It's not cheating. And I think I think this is what gets me, is when people go, well, that, I feel like I just have to go and push my dog that bit harder because if I don't, then I'm cheating. And, and, and is the dog really learning what I want and need them to learn if they don't get put in that situation? If they don't learn the hard way, are they really learning what I want them to learn? And again, it's it's not looking at it's. It is this you know social expectation of humans mm-hmm. that they're not taking a step back and looking at the dog that they have in front of them and going, okay, so I have exposed you to you know highly distracting or very busy areas, and I have noticed that the dog steps away, uh, hides behind my legs, or tries to. Let's, let's say, for example, a puppy mm. uh, tries to crawl back up my leg mm-hmm. rather than seeing that and going, okay, you're, you're clearly not okay with this, so <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to find someone to give me some advice or maybe we're just going to do that a little bit slowly. Yeah, I'm going to take a step backwards to go forwards. Exactly. Yeah. But it's also the, the um, outside of that expectation of, you know, I've, the dog has to learn. People also don't, it's not just cheating. They feel like, well, I'm just avoiding the situation, yeah. which it, it's, it's not doing that. Yeah. You know, if you, there is avoidance, which is where you just never go anywhere near those particular environments ever. And the, or there is management in a way that you can expose your dog in a controlled environment where you're able to observe the dog observing its environment, able to have that time and space to take the information at a slow enough pace for it to understand what everything means for them and then feel comfortable enough to move forward or back, whatever the the dog might need, but to learn then actually have a proper experience where all of those steps are able to happen mm. without there being such an emotional rush of frustration, anxiety, fear, yeah, you know, anything like that. Yeah. And there's a couple of things. I'm just going to, for the sake of anybody listening, just to clear up a couple of 
think statements that we will often say as trainers, but just for anybody else, like when we say we're not going to go back into that situation, we don't necessarily mean ever. Mm. Right? I'm just not going to make... If I've got, if I've put my dog in a situation and I see a response that's really like, oh, my dog's struggling there, I don't think to myself, we're not going to go back in there ever. I think to myself, right, okay, that didn't work. I'm definitely not going to put you in the same situation again next time. But I'm going to go, right, okay, what is a situation that is going to allow us to prepare mm. for this day? when I next need this. And it might be, say, for example, it was a, a cafe. I might then go, right, okay, what are the things involved around sitting at a cafe having breakfast? There is being able to stand still in public, mm. being able to rest, settle and relax. So let's do that without lots of tables and people and movement around us. Let's do that in a really low, simulated environment. Then I um, might need to do that for longer. Then I might need to do that for slightly for slightly longer in time, under more distraction, under distraction around dogs, under distraction around children. And I might layer these in individually and build up all these different skill sets to eventually accumulate them to what is the melting pot of sitting at a cafe. It's not a case of never doing it. The other thing that, again, broad statements that me and you might use is we will put up, we will say, we'll put our dogs in, in environments that we can control. Mm. We are fully aware that you cannot completely control the environment, but <laughs> but you can control where you take your dog and where you take your dog is hopefully somewhere where you can predict your environment as effectively as possible. And if you have got a situation where you find yourself in a situation where there's loads and loads of variables, but you don't have the skills to manage them, you're in the deep end, so you just do the process exactly what we just talked about. Yeah. We just acknowledge it and go, oh, shit, hit in the fan, back out. And I was listening to um, Hannah Brannigan the other day, and this was a bloody great lesson. We all need reminding of the great simple lessons sometimes, but, like, this was a great one. It's like the notion that you have to end on a win, bullshit. <laughs> right? If, what she said, it was so good. Like She's like, if you can see that your training session's on a downward trajectory, get out. Bail. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a really old school thing. Like, yeah, I remember yeah. when I was studying, one of the things is always finish on a positive note because that's what the dog will remember. Yeah. But if you have a situation where over and over and over again, even if it's once or twice, yeah. where it's not okay for the dog, get out. Yeah, do something I different. just get, yeah, get out. And then, you know, see if you can redirect your dog's brain so that, you know, the emotional overload can start to filter out a bit. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I love that. It's it's not about finishing on a positive note. No. So, I mean, I was working with a client today that we are um, training this dog to be an emotional support dog in a school. So cool. So what this, there are so many things that this dog needs to be okay with. Mm not just cope with, yeah. to be good and okay with and prepared for, mm -hmm. which is the main thing is having this dog prepared for going into a classroom. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the, the teachers are going to manage the children, but these are children, yeah, primary school children. Yeah. So, you know, going through the conversation of what we really need to prepare this dog for, the reality of it, not yeah. just, oh, well, you know, he can sit on a mat and he can wave and do all that. It's, you know, well, what if... Even after we have a session with the children with a fake dog, we go, this is how you are supposed to approach a dog and, you know, not pat and 
mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff, there is still the possibility that there is going to be one random child that's going to go, hey! Yeah. So in that situation, you know, you can, if you've got your baseline skill set and then you've got your, under really boring and basic conditions, then you go, all right, what are the predictable variables like the kid pattern? Then you've got to really think about what are the, what are the unlikely variables that are still potentially going to happen? Mm-hmm. Like what happens when there's a fire drill? We, we spoke about that today. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that the client had said was, oh, um, you know, the dog's never going to go out into the courtyards when the kids are having lunch or recess because it's obviously just going to be too much and, you know, 300 children are going to want to say hello to this dog. Mm. And I said, that's all well and good, but what if the fire alarm goes off? Mm. Because... It's a school and these things can happen. We need to prepare him for the fact that you, you need to, yeah, you will need to get him out as well as being the principal of the school, make sure that all the teachers and the children get out safely. Yeah. So your focus is going to be in multiple areas. It's not going to be 100% on him and that's the reality. Not saying she loves him any less than, in, than you know, the kids or anything like that, but the reality is... If something like that happens, we need this dog to be prepared. We need him to be okay to have 300 little feet running past, probably going, or whatever it is, because we want to make sure that the welfare of that dog, he's okay. Mm -hmm. So we need to prepare him for that. So, you know, going through the discussion of what, we need to do to to get this dog ready because there are so many variables. Because he's not going to be there naturally and yet. No. <laughs> so, you know, we are managing his his uh, environment at the moment by not putting him in that. Yeah. And we are building up. We are building up, you know, the basics and then we're going to gradually go to things like cafes when it's quiet. Mm-hmm. We're going to walk through the school when it's quiet. Yeah. We're going to go, you know, all of these things are going to take time. We're not avoiding it. We're preparing this. Yes. We're, we're preparing this dog so that when he's in that situation, he has the ability to be okay and the resilience. Yeah. That when these things happen, he doesn't shit himself because he doesn't know what's going on because it becomes unpredictable. Yeah. We're going, okay, dude, you've been here before. You know, which creates confidence in him. Yeah. Identifying the skill set that he's going to need in the moment. Like I remember one day, and it wasn't. I got lucky. But at the same time, I didn't get lucky, right? So my older Otis, back in the day, years oh, yeah. ago, uh, I did loads of work with this dog. Like, he was one of these dogs that was so easy and fun to train and play with. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to go to a Sydney Dog Lover show and I'm going to have Otis on the stand with me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't... I did everything that... Do as I say, do as I do. Uh, not as I do, because what I didn't do was any deliberate preparation for it Mm. but what I had done was developed a really wide repertoire of behaviours to be able to lean on yeah and I I realised it really early on I'm like okay cool we've got a safe space we've got the crate so I didn't need him around people and he was so comfortable in his crate so I always had downtime for him and for me if he was out we had station so on the bed Mm. settle Uh, we had look at me we had coping skills that he could tell me if he was getting uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The big one was, oh, pee break. Oh, we've got 50,000 people, whatever it is, <laughs> like between me and the toilet. Shit. Fly by padders. Yeah. Magnet hand. 
faggot hands all the way through. Yeah. And he was an absolute hero. I don't think he even looked at anybody on the way out. He's just like, food, 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 food. Because we'd done magnet hand a lot. Mm. And that wide skill base. Now, we'd never, ever, we'd built all of the, those different behaviours away from Sydney Dog Lover Show, away from thousands of people. Mm. A lot in preparation for days like that. And he nailed it. And he was so tired by the end of it. But he did. He nailed it. So yeah. proud of him. Um, not so much proud of myself because I winged it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but that was, in hindsight, you know, I got, got away with it. But I got away with it because of all the foundational stuff that we prepared for. Yeah. But do you think you could do that, do that multiple, multiple times? No. Continuously? No. Wouldn't put him through it. It was a bloody hard day. But that's where I think some people do get that little um, false confidence. Mm. They will expose a dog to a situation and the dog will seem fine. Yeah. Uh, And they'll go, oh, my God, my dog's amazing at a cafe. Mm. Yeah. And then they'll do it again and and the dog's not so amazing because the conditions might be different, the dog might be fairly different, what the dog actually experienced on that that. Lucky day. As you know, Sydney Dog Lover Show is a two-day event. Mm. I didn't take over for the second day. Yeah. He was cooked. He, he was so tired after day one. I went, if I took him, it would have been a battle against my dog all day. Mm. I don't need that. Like, no, he didn't need that. Nobody needs that. Yeah. We had a great day without him. <laughs> right? This is, uh, that's really important, isn't it? Like, Knowing that, like you said, like these events are events. Mm-hmm. Like going to a dog park, like the amount of people that say to me, oh, my dog loves the dog park, we do it every day. I'm like, look, I love a beer, mate, but I'm going to get pissed every bloody day. If I do, everything else in my life falls apart. Yeah. It gets stressful. It, get, it doesn't mean I don't have a good time at the pub every day. <laughs> no, but it's what is that, the fallout of that. Yeah. You know, it's, and I think, yeah, when, you know, when you and I would see a dog that, you know, loves the dog park, um, what we see is, is, you know, not a dog that loves the dog park. No. You know, it's an over-aroused. Yeah. Um, rarely, very rarely have I ever had a dog described to me as loves the dog park that actually loves it. Yeah. That's so uncommon. Like, every now and then I get caught surprised. I'm like, oh, you don't really like it here. Yeah. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. This doesn't, this, you don't have the lens that I do yeah. to know that that's actually really abnormal. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> The other thing um, when it comes to management and cheating and things like that is, so something that, uh, and this is probably another topic for another week, but... Say, for example, I've come into a client, met them for the first or whatever time in this training stage, but their dog is clearly just struggling with life. And I will say, strip it back and go, we're going to put your dog on a stress break, cortisol break, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And basically, I want to take away the stresses in the dog's life for now to allow the nervous system to calm down and recover so that we are prepared for, in the future, bring the dog into a state of readiness to learn again. Because right now your dog is not capable of learning anything positive because, frankly, its brain's cooked. And that desperation to get the dog into the situation so it can learn Mm. can often override the logic behind the stress break. 
And of course, then we don't see progress. We see that people go, no, can't let the dog recover. <laughs> and that's, they go and reintroduce the dog before it's ready. Mm. Or a, a, a level again, like what we were talking about earlier, of a level of exposure that the dog isn't prepared well enough for. And then we go, yeah, of course it's gone to shit. Of course it doesn't work because the dog was never prepared and wasn't in the right frame of mind for learning. I often try to relate to people the way they say don't anthropomorphize your dog, but sometimes it's really appropriate. Yeah. It's like, um, I am pretty good at saying to myself, you're tired, mate. Take a day off. Because mm. I know I work bloody hard. So I actually don't have any guilt if I have a day off because I, I don't do it for no reason. I do it because you know what, today you're going to be bloody useless and you could push through today and get half of your to-do list done badly. Half of that you'll have to do redo and then you'll still wake up with a massive to-do list the next day, but you'll be in no fit state to do that one either. So just take a day, mate. And I'm good at that with myself, but I never used to be and it was a skill. And do I think I'm cheating? I used to, but not anymore. But it's also getting it across to a caregiver in a way that is empathising with the dog, you know, putting them, so what you were saying, you know, giving that dog a break so their nervous system is not in constant survival mode, getting back, them back to a baseline so that when you do expose them to those mild stresses, their ability to cope and recover mm. is there. So explaining that to some caregivers, like for me what I say is, you know, think about people, especially in America, that they get to a breaking point mm -hmm. due to stress. You know, their, their, boss is, their boss is yelling. Or I say, okay, if you want to put it to yourself, you go to bed, you've got to wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning because you've got a presentation that if you nail this presentation, you are going to get a promotion. That promotion is going to give you $50,000 extra in your pay packet every year. Mm -hmm. You set your alarm for quarter to seven just to give yourself that break. Go to bed, your alarm doesn't go off because you didn't put your charger in your phone, so your alarm doesn't go off. So you wake up at 7.30, so you're already late. You look like shit, so you need a shower. You got to have a shower. It's in the middle of winter. There's no hot water because you didn't pay the bill because you're vying on having this promotion. So then you can't. You have a cold shower, which slaps you in the face but makes you even angrier. You go out to your car. You go to your car. You've got a flat tire. You go to call an Uber. Well, you can't call an Uber because your phone bat the battery on your phone is still flat, so then you've got to go back inside. You go to call an Uber. Your card's declined. By this stage, it's 8.30. Your presentation is at 8.45. You rock in eventually at half past nine. Your boss, your a friend comes up to me and goes, hey, mate, you're going to turn around and say, oh, hey. <laughs> or are you going to turn around and go, what the fuck? Because each little thing, and if you have that every single day, mm. that is going to be your response until you break. And that is what a dog is going through if they're consistently put into that situation. Mm. But if you have that bad day and your boss goes, mate, look, it's okay. I understand all of that. I've I moved the clients to next week. 
you've had a really shit day, take the rest of the day, take tomorrow off, regroup, make sure your presentation's all okay. You come back that next time, you're okay because mm. you're rested, you're recovered. All of your hormones have finally settled in your system. You can sleep properly because stressed out dogs don't sleep or rest properly. Yeah. So when you, for me, when I explain it like that, they go, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. And they look at their dog and go, I'm so sorry, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, I didn't realise you were knackered. Yeah. And so many times when I say, I'm again, not going to go into this topic today, but we always do this, don't we? We digress yeah. a bit, but... We really need a list. Now we've done this so many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cover it eventually. We're going to be talking yeah, about years. So, so the, uh, when I say to someone, that your dog's knackered, and they're like, but he's got so much energy. I'm like, I don't mean physically. I mean, like, mentally, he's running on empty, man. It's adrenal fatigue. Mm. Um, and for anybody that's interested, there's a webinar on that. Yes. Yeah. Go watch it. Mm. So, management's not cheating. No. Nope. Manage what your dog has access to, just like you probably do for yourself to contain your own behavior. I know that I don't put myself in a load of bloody situations. Think about this, and I think this is a rhetorical question because I really don't know the answer. I don't know if anybody really does, but I really think I ask myself a question: Am I more am I a more tolerant and patient person than I used to be, or do I just not put myself through the same shit? Because I really do think that if I was put putting myself through the same shit as I did when I was a youth, I'd probably still be the same dickhead. <laughs> I'm not going there at all. Exactly. Rhetorical. Yep. <laughs> Have a think about it, though, because it's not cheating. I think we can be really kind to ourselves, be really kind to our dogs, and just, you know what, if it's not, if you go, it ain't worth it. Okay, don't do it. Don't do it. See you, guys. See ya. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode has been sponsored by Bondo Behaviorist. Bondo Behaviorist is a Sydney-based dog training and behavior company. I found it back in 2015. We've got a small but dedicated team of dog trainers and behavior consultants. We've helped over 4,000 people at this point with everything in between, helping people set up their new lives with their puppy or adopted dog, to working with people that have come to us to help them with dog training and behavior concerns. For more information, go to bondibehaviorist.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Bondi Behaviorist.